This week's episode of Physio Foundations is part two of our chat with Mick Hughes and Randall Cooper from Learn.Physio. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back and cue that one up for a listen later on, or you could go back and listen now and then come back to this episode where you'll hear all about the introductions that the guys give to their careers and tips for your career development. But let's go straight back into part two. So in part two of this conversation, we're going to dive deeper into Mick and Randall's field of expertise in their wheelhouse, which is ACL injuries and ACL rehabilitation. And we'll also talk about their side projects and the resources that they've developed that you can use to further your knowledge and skills on your own path towards expertise. And if you're interested in ACL rehabilitation, this episode's for you. Uh, and just like in part one, Susanna, the other half of Periton.Physio and the other half is joining us for a panel discussion to add some value. So let's go. Before we run out of time, Mick and Randall, thanks again. Thanks for joining me and Susanna on part two on Physio Foundations. It's great to be back. Thanks very much, Luke. Great to be here, Luke and Susanna. Thanks for having us. Let's go straight into ACLs and ACL rehab. So we've all got a shared interest in this topic. And if you listen to part one of our discussion, you'll have a, a big introduction to why that is. Um, so Randall, first, it, let's talk about uh, physiotherapy students, physio, young physiotherapists, emerging clinicians. Um, it's something we touched on earlier, but we're talking generally about sports physiotherapy um, and the pathway and what it's like to be a sports physio. Let's just talk about ACLs here. And what are some of the most important things, the foundational knowledge and skills that you use every day um, that you couldn't go to work without? Um, so we could, it could be anatomy, physiology, physical examination. It could be questions you ask, communication, anything at all. The floor's open. Another tough question, Luke. Um, I think that um, probably, and when you talk to the orthopedic surgeons about this, um, they will say that their most important skill uh, that they have as, uh, in diagnosing ACLs in the first part is the subjective history, the history of the patient and asking the right questions. And once you've established that um, they've had a twisting injury, a giving way episode, usually a snap or crack or pop kind of in the knee, the knee has felt unstable before and you've had some level of effusion or hemarthrosis after it, like nine, te- nine times out of 10, you're going to have an ACL injury. So you talk to some of the, you know, the surgeons that have been around for 20 or 30 years and they'll say, oh, I'll get it. And they're quite arrogant creatures. <laughs> they, um, they'll say that I can predict and understand um, who's had an ACL or not before I even get my hands on them. So I think um, understanding the, the, mechanism, the mechanism of injury um, and understand and getting a good subject history is a massively important skill for young physios to get the right questions going. Then as far as um, being able to then rehab uh, someone after an ACL injury, I think that, um, you know, Mick and I have put together a, um, a criteria called the Melbourne ACL Rehabilitation Guide. We're up to 2.0 at the moment. 3.0 is going to come at some point. But having a plan and having um, a, a template um, that, has got some evidence behind it uh, and outcome measures that you can measure progress along the way is super important. A lot of people will uh, get through the first three or four months of the ACL rehab without too much effort. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense because the knee will settle down, people will start to ride a bike naturally, they'll walk a little bit. But I think that, um, you know, for most therapists, physios, exercise scientists who work with ACL patients, that second half of the rehab is the most important. And making sure that um, people do uh, regain full neuromuscular control, full strength, 
good confidence in their knee, good confidence generally needs to be measured. So having great tests will make sure that you're going through um, objectively and not, not just flying blind to get people back to sport at the end of the day. Mick's chomping at the bit to talk about some of these assessments and outcome measures. Um, so that second part of the rehab where you've, you've you talked about a lot, Mick, um, what are some of your I can't go without measurements or tests yeah. and, and, and baselines that you take? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's definitely like a perfect world, I guess, um, uh, tools and, and things that you'll have in your tool, toolkit. But I guess the, the vast majority of clinicians won't have the luxury of having the force plate data. Um, and even some of us may not even have access to handheld dynamometry uh, for that some of that late stage testing. So, yeah, really it's coming down to finding ways that are pretty low tech that give you high value results. And so, look, I think for me, I'm lucky enough to work in a clinic with force plates. So I'm, I'm, getting, I'm gathering counter movement jump data, I'm looking at how they land left and right, and if their ACL limb is being offloaded um, in that jump under a double leg task, which is often a common thing we'll see at six months, nine months post-op if it's not trained very well. Um, on the force plates, I'll also get the single leg vertical jump data too, which is starting to show a lot of promise in, in, in identifying residual uh, weakness and differences in, in hot performance, uh, you know, nine, 12 months post-op as well, which often isn't seen in a traditional forward hot test, which is um, low tech, but gives reasonable good results too. Um, so they're kind of what my sort of, that's the kind of stuff I'm lucky enough to work with. Um, having a handheld dynamometry set up also too is really valuable. Uh, for me as a clinician, because I can measure quite objectively and reliably the quadricep difference um, between ACL limb and, and healthy limb. You know, the quads have got a huge influence on short-term, medium-term, long-term, very long-term outcomes after an ACL injury. So to be able to objectively measure quad strength um, is really important to me as a clinician too. So they're, they're kind of like my two bits of tech that I probably have grown comfortable with and I would really struggle to practice the way that I like to practice uh, without. But of course, there, there are plenty of things that young clinicians can do that don't have the same level of resources as, as what I'm lucky enough to have at the moment. So even things like a single leg hop the distance, all you need is a measuring tape and a marker, um, six metre time hop test as well, you just need a stopwatch and, and a six metre distance measured out. Um, you know, don't overstate also too the importance of a questionnaire, which costs nothing. Um, you know, the IKDC is a very valuable questionnaire that can give you a lot of information about someone's rehab journey and how they're functioning overall at different time points as well through those first 12 months to two years. And the ACL RSI, uh, there's also two really good subjective questionnaire there too. So I think at the back end of rehab, you know, some people can get away simply with, um, you know, a hot you know, a horizontal hop test battery um, and a couple of questionnaires to give you a, some really good objective measures to help you guide someone back to training and back to sport. And um, if you're lucky enough to work in a really well-resourced clinic with the force plates, Nord board, handheld dynamometry, timing gates, um, groin bar, force frames, whatever you've got, you know, access to, you know, absolutely utilise some of those extra bells and whistles to, to really come up with a an informed opinion about someone's return, the safety to return back to training and sport. Whatever equipment you've got access to, measure, yep. assess, don't guess. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, assessed, I guess, but also too, I was having this conversation yesterday with someone up at the Cowboys and that sometimes there's so much data that can come out of these tests, particularly something like the counter movement movement jump. It can be analysis, it can be paralysis by analysis. Like you have to really, you know, sometimes you get so much numbers coming your way in a test result that you don't know how to make head or tail of the data. So I think it's important to, as as you do get a bit more familiar with these things, probably just pick one or two, maybe one or two maximum three data points that you know that you that you'll choose to to look at consistently to see if there's any sort of lingering issues that are, are occurring within this athlete. Um, so that, that'll be you know the piece of advice there is sometimes you know you can get caught up with the yeah too many numbers and and you just don't know what to do with it. So it's trying to also to an experience will get you there. You know years and years of working with multiple ACL athletes, you'll get a good feel of, you know, what is important, what is the important metrics to be looking at in that late stage rehab. But yeah, that, that takes a lot of time and experience to, to do that. Mm. What about you, Susanna, with your experience with ath- with um, footy athletes or football players, I should say? I, th- I think Randall and Mick have um, really rounded it off quite well. I think one of the, the things that you sort of touched on is Really, you've got your assess, don't guess, but really make sure that it's objective and subjective. So your objective, you know, you're going to get the numbers, but you want to marry up the numbers to how that person's feeling and and their thoughts of, you know, their injury. I mean, one of the, the biggest things that I'll do when we go out with an athlete to do some drills, et cetera, is ask them, how do you feel? How confident are you? What does it feel like right now? Um because if, if they say, yeah, it doesn't feel great, you know, I'm not going to go straight into that drill. You know, I'll, I'll go um, and see what else we can do to get them that confidence up. So I think you can, you can have a lot of numbers, but if you can't marry it up, and that's where Mick really did quite nicely talking about some of the patient reported outcomes, so the questionnaires that you can give them. Because the questionnaires are nice because they, they categorise it, so it's not just pain. Um, I mean, there's pain, there's function, sport, uh, you know, even things like work and, and understanding not just the demands of, you know, maybe it's sport. I mean, not all ACLs are done as a sporting injury. You know, it could be a work injury too. So, um, and they might be an athlete, an amateur athlete that has other um, sort of physically demanding work. So working the rehab um, and the assessment in around that. Let's talk about you know, upskilling in ACL injuries specifically and the work you guys are doing with Learn.Physio. So how did it start? Let's go back briefly. How, how did Learn.Physio start? So that, that's a company that you both um, co-founded and you've got thousands of followers online. A lot of people will be familiar with it if they're interested in ACL injuries or, or musculoskeletal rehab. How did you start and what's happening now and where's it going? Well, it started off the back of um, uh, Mick and I doing the Melbourne ACL Rehabilitation Guide 2.0, where we got asked uh, often to go and do talks. And um, you know, I've been busy with other things, and you know, Mick's got a young family, busy clinician, and we kind of spoke about it and said, "Listen, we just have, don't have time to kind of do the the you know the course circuit for a better word." So. Um, we had an idea that would actually film a masterclass um, online and put it online. Uh, we thought that what we'd do is um, 
uh, get uh, an, an athlete to actually demonstrate some exercises and um, we'd also get some professional footage of like assessment techniques and that type of thing and actually film it in a nice location with a nice backdrop as well. So it was engaging to watch and, um, and it was useful to watch as well. So Mick and I recorded the first ACL Masterclass, would have been about three years ago now, Mick, I think, and um, we put it up yeah, online, really just, yeah, just kind of servicing a need really. And we put it up on this um, little website that wasn't ours called learn.physio and it just started to sell well. And then um, the guy who actually owned the, the website um, gave us a call and, and said, do you want the website? <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? How much do you want? And uh, we were both not in looking for, for any kind of uh, additional kind of businesses or anything at that stage. Um, but he said, listen, you can just have it for free. You guys will do better with it than I have. And I've got these other projects. So essentially we inherited um, learn.physio. Uh, we had our ACL masterclass up on there and then we filmed a couple of additional masterclasses and uh, it just started to gain traction. And um, I suppose, you know, Mick, we haven't looked back since. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've, um, I've, yeah, it was very fortuitous how, how it all came about. Um, but that's been a great journey. And we've, yeah, just released our brand new uh, revised upgrade, upgrade and brand new six part series that's bigger and better and more experts and not just the Mick and Randall show anymore. It's, um, you know, we were trying not to, you know, really, you know, we, we, that's a big part of what we want to do is really call upon the experts to share their wealth of information. Like, you know, it just wouldn't feel right to us to also run a shoulder course or, a, you know, an ankle masterclass or a hamstring masterclass. That's why we've also to reached out to, um, you know, true industry experts and health professionals. We're lucky, like, you know, when I was living in Melbourne, but you guys are still there. But, you know, Melbourne's got such a wonderful talent pool of experts, you know, in Melbourne. You know, not just Australian-based experts, but world experts in, in their chosen field. So, um, yeah, we, 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 that was a big part of, of, of our uh, growth as Learn.Physio is to really reach out to these experts and get them to present and share their wealth of information to the, to the students. So, um, yeah, we're, we're very lucky um, about the journey so far and can't wait for you know, more stuff that's coming our way. Well, that's a taster yeah. for listeners for – oh, sorry, go ahead, Randall. I was going to say we're out of time, but let's go. No, no, no. I was, well, I was just going to say, I mean, you're an educator as well, Luke, and I'm – it's an interesting time to be in, you know, the, the, the pandemic has accelerated online, you know, education remarkably. Uh, we weren't predicting the pandemic to kind of come along. And, um, you know, I think that now more and more people are looking to, to um, do some form of education online, but, you know, taking my learn.physio hat off and just putting my clinician's hat on and going back to what we spoke about in the other episode as well is that, this is a piece of the puzzle. You know, I don't think anyone can just completely learn online and just kind of absorb what we've got, even though we've got great people. You still need to get your hands dirty. You still need to learn from others face-to-face. You still need to kind of make sure that, you know, like you're, you're working in an environment um, that is making you accountable and you're learning some of those soft skills as well. So I think that's a really important point that I wanted to make. So good. Uh, such value here. This is really just the, the, the start of a discussion. I've got so many more questions I want to ask you. I also don't want to let you, I don't want to run you late for your appointments that are coming up. So we better finish it there. Um, I'm going to add links to all the, everything, all the questionnaires and all the, everything you've mentioned there in the show description. We should also mention, mention um, your 
podcast, Randall. Um, so Journal Club, which is started in the same week as Physio Foundations, which is really nice. And then Mix Associated Blog, Mix Two Cents, which summarizes the Journal Club episode. So listeners go check that out and subscribe to that. Um, it's really, um, really worth getting a summary each week of an interesting journal article. Any final thoughts, guys, on ACLs before we wrap it up? Oh, I think I think that ACL is just an evolving area, um, and I'm really I'm really excited to be part of of sharing that yeah sharing that research and trend, trying to translate it um, to clinical practice to make you know sense of the the stuff that comes our way. You know, like I think if you think yeah, you know, probably you look at how many papers are published every month on ACLs, and it'd be in the hundreds, if not thousands, depending on the journals that you're sort of looking at. But it's such a, a huge topic. Um, largely, a lot of the things they look at, though, are very surgical-driven, and I've loved to see in the last couple of years um, the emergence of a, non, a non-operative uh, and rehab-only approach, which I can't wait to see more and more um, evolve over time and to allow us to make really confident decisions about the management of our ACL patients and the even more uh, recent emergence of the potential for the ACL to heal is just fascinating to me and I can't wait to see more of that research come along over these next you know, 10, 15, 20 years as well because that's an absolute game changer that we're seeing. It's just these sprinklings of papers that are a bit retrospective when they look at look at it, but there's going to be some prospective, um, you know, trials, you know, evolved no doubt in the future that will, you know, give us an idea of who these lucky ACL healers are um, and and how we can hopefully identify them in the clinic, um, you know, or via MRI or whatever means necessary to give these people a chance of um, rehabbing alone without surgery and just giving them time to, to show that they can rehab and, and get a great result without surgery too. So that, that, that's the exciting stuff that I, I love that wakes me up every day and wonders, you know, what's latest on PubMed, um, what can I sink my teeth in today kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, the next five, 10, 15 years are going to be pretty cool, I think, in the ACL space. And Randall, any final thoughts before while we wrap this thing up? Oh, no, I just echo what Mick said. And, and the other thing is, is that, you know, I think that there's so much focus with ACLs on just returning the player back to sport. But, um, you know, the Latrobe group do an excellent job. And I know you're in the space as well, Luke, about looking at the long-term consequences and particularly osteoarthritis um, in the long term. Uh, we know that most people will get arthritic change 10 years after having an ACL and uh, maintaining and protecting people's long-term health. I think it's just as important as getting them back out on the football field so uh, keep for people who are interested in that area i'd encourage them to look at that space as much as they do kind of returning people just back to play fantastic all right and suzanna final thoughts no no, no. final thoughts <laughs> <laughs> final thoughts all right let's leave it there mick hughes randall cooper uh, we really appreciate your time and i'm sure the listeners do too so much more to talk about next time let's leave it there thanks very much for coming on physio foundations and sharing your expertise Thanks, Luke. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, and uh, looking forward to the next one.